is one of the key ways that we are, have been talking to you and teaching you and sharing with you as God has shared with us the culture of new life. Now, culture is incredibly important. Um, I want you to think, some of you I know because I've talked to some of you, you have this thumb that is not this color. It's green. I do not have a green thumb. Okay? My wife tries to have a green thumb. She even gets the marker out and tries to mark on it green. It doesn't always work. Now, my son has a green thumb. How did that happen? I have no idea. He didn't get it from me. He didn't get it from his mom. He got it from his monitor. And these two, which is Pauline, uh, my wife's mom, and um, they get together and they actually talk flowers. It's the weirdest man thing I've ever seen. I'm wanting to talk football and national championships. And he's over there with gloves on in the dirt talking about flowers. Kevin, it just seems wrong, you know. But not only do they talk flowers, they exchange flowers. Like, she'll get a plant going really well, and he'll go over there and like it, and he'll take a snip off of it. Yeah, snips it. And then he'll take it home, and he puts it in something. And it'll, uh, Megan is shaking her head because she knows I'm telling the truth. And it'll start growing these, you know, roots because you can, anything that you take from one living thing has embedded within it the mechanism to reproduce itself. And if you put it in the right environment, that which looks like just a piece of a plant suddenly begins to sprout and become a plant all on its own. And then if, if you recognize that, that uh, you put it in water, and eventually those, 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 those roots are going to gonna be pushing against the side walls of whatever you put them in. Then you've got to change it and put it into a different culture. You've got to put it into a pot that's got the right soil, that's got the right nutrients in it. And then when you put it in there, man, it just, it, it, you know, you go get miracle Grow. They need miracle Grow for non-green thumbs. I need that. And it'll just start sprouting on its own. Whenever you cut something off of one thing, it has embedded within it the ability to reproduce if you put it in the right culture. Put it in the wrong culture, it'll die. You with me? We have all been cut, grafted into one tree, which is Jesus Christ. Now, you can cut me a little bit. Now, I'm using an analogy, but you take me... And I have within me the ability to reproduce from whom I am grafted from. The culture of Christ is embedded within me. And if I'll get myself in the right environment, I can exude the culture of Christ. And when I exude the culture of Christ and impact the area around me, guess what we can do? We can reproduce Christ in each other. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. And it all comes down to the roots. Roots are, are what holds you and give you stability. All right? Now, I like to have fun. I am, I am a creative person. You, you never know. You might not want to miss next week. We might have a little fun. You might, we might get a surprise for you, okay? Um, so we'll, we'll just see. Because uh, next, anyway, it, it'll be fun. But I like 
taking these pop tunes and letting God speak through them. So the one we've chosen this week is a really cool one. But first, let's read the scripture together. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Everybody reading it together. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. So again, one more time, I want you to see it. The goal of this is to be filled with the measure of the fullness of God, right? Can anybody look at this scripture? Don't shout it out. I'm going to show it to you. But do you know that within this scripture, the identity of the correct culture that will produce the measure of the fullness of Christ is shown? Let me show you where it is. Together with all the Lord's holy people, you'll never experience the full measure of the fullness of God by yourself. you got to get around other people that have the same culture you do. And when you're around other people that have the same Christ culture, then together... Together with all the Lord's holy people, you'll begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. So in a world that is continuing to be segmented and separated, the church has a countercultural message that says, you know what? Technology is fantastic. We're going to use it. But there is nothing like getting together with other people that have the same culture you do and rubbing off on each other and spilling off on each other and realizing, you know what? I'm not alone in this thing. That was pretty weak. I thought that was pretty good. Should have got a couple amens. But been using pop tunes. And I want I want to pull one out. I'm going to show my age. Um, when I was a kid, I remember sadly, I remember black and white TV. Anybody else? Wow, we're all old. Okay, um, I remember black and white TV. I remember one of the first shows I watched on this black and white TV. We were in Shawnee. I was probably only about five. I have a really good memory on some things. And I remember my dad buying an antenna and putting it up on the back of the house in Shawnee. And, and, and we had this little TV. It was black and white. And I watched Batman for the first time. You know, the old Adam West show. And, uh, but then they came out with Technicolor. TVs and dad went and eventually because dad was making bank he was he well he worked at a bank and he was making bank they go together you know that don't you and so I loved him when dad worked at the bank because I got stuff all the time like he would just come home and give me stuff it was so cool I I was into spider-man one time and he brought home a, a a a toy that went on my wrist that had a dart on it with a string. Do you remember that, Dad? Boy, I had fun with that sucker. I learned if I licked that, it had a little the sticky thing, you know, and if I licked it, I could shoot and it would stick on the wall. And I had this toy box that had, um, uh, it had a uh, chalkboard on it, and I could stand in the living room, and if I aimed just right, I could hit that thing. With, it was the coolest thing ever. I was like, Dad, you're awesome because you give me stuff. Yeah, and so he bought this TV with color, and I experienced cartoons for the first time. Yeah, and so I would get up. I was the kid on Saturday morning that would get up and be there. I got my. I figured out how to get the Fruit Loops out of the out of the cupboard all by myself. I think Mama left them down on purpose because she knew I was going for them, and just sat there and I, I, you know, watch watch cartoons. And then my dad and mom began to expose me to their music. 
And it was on shows. Some of them were rather odd. Hee-haw. I didn't get it. I never could figure out why the lady never took the tag off her hat. And we'd watch and we'd laugh. And then my first crush occurred on a music show. Ah, Marie Osmond. Ah, heaven stop. You know, I had to have me a mic like Marie Osmond. Do you remember the ones that had the antenna on the end of it? Yeah. Johnny Marie Osmond show. But then there was this other show. We only watched it a couple of times. And they're the ones that came out with the title that I'm using today. Captain and Tennille. Love will keep us together. What a fantastic idea for the church. I want to talk to you today about the importance of the church and how that love can keep us together. For that to happen, we got to understand a few things about the church. Number one, you ready? Number one, another great song. We are family. Number one. Love will keep us together because we're a family. Now, that's got its good parts and its bad parts. See, for a lot of us, like some, there's a point in my life where um, I'd given up on, I never gave up on God or Christ, but man, I was done with church. I'd been on staff at a fast-growing church, um, and we were exploding, and it just really began to wear us out. I mean, we were working 70 hours a week for a 75-minute production, and, you know, and we were flipping it, and it just wore us out. I began to understand what some of you have experienced, and that's why church can be hurtful for you. And I want you to know today, if I could have made t-shirts, one of these days I'm going to, and I'm just going to hand them out. So here's a phrase I want to seed into our culture. I want everybody to understand, your wounds are welcome. Your wounds are welcome. But here, brokenness gets healed. And some of us have experienced the mechanism, the machinery of church. Where it's not really about the life that we can have. It's about what the organization can take from us. It's, and we stand as ministers and we stand behind pulpits of humongous churches and we equate serving in the church to serving the kingdom. Now, there's parts of that that's true, but not all of it. Some of it we should do because we're family. One of the hot button issues in our house are the dishes in the sink. Who's going to wash them? You see, um, a couple of years ago, our dishwasher broke, and uh, we looked at the cost of replacing it and decided, you know what, we have three dishwashers that we gave birth to. <laughs> hey, and so we just started setting it up, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, uh, lunch and dinner, yeah. we had dishwashers, gave birth to them, let's go kids, earn your keep. And then that, that kind of became a contentious thing because my wife is a wonderful manager of our household. She, I mean, I don't know where I'd be without her. I'm dead serious. No joke. Um, you do not know how many times that I was joking about it over here with a couple of people that um, I, 
get up to go speak, and I have to check my pockets to make sure I don't have anything you know, in my pockets because it bothers her. You know how many times I've walked out of the closet thinking, hey, I'm looking good today. And she's like, uh-uh, <laughs> go back. <laughs> I would be lost without her. She manages our house very well. And she decided to begin to teach our kids that there is benefits to working. And once you start adding dollar bills to chores, buddy, you've lost the battle. Because now it becomes, you want me to wash the dishes, mom? That'll be $2. <laughs> And some things you just do because you live in the house, because you're part of the family, and the family takes care of the house. Yes? Repeat this after me. The family takes care of the house. All right. We all do it. We all know it because we're family. All right? When you go, and maybe your fam family operates this way, whoever is the main washer person, when I... Got married. My mom taught me very well. My mom taught me to iron clothes. Yeah. It bothers me to not have an ironing board because I, like I like the lines, you know. She taught me to iron. She taught me to wash clothes. When I was in college, she told me, she said, You're not, I'm not washing your clothes no more. I had to figure it out. So I get married. And I thought, I'm going to serve my wife because that's what the Bible says. Husbands, serve your wife. Love your wives. Serve your wives. As Christ loves and serves the church. Okay, that's what I'm playing with here. Anyway, so I thought one day she was working hard and I was hanging out. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash the clothes for my wife. And I'm smart enough to know the darks go with the darks and the whites go with the whites and everything else goes in together. Did not know that you could take a sweater for an average person and shrink it to doll size. That was the last day she let me do the laundry. But as she has taught the kids to do laundry, it's an understanding that it doesn't matter if it's your darks or your sister's darks or your brother's darks. Sometimes... You just put it all in there because you're going to take care of each other because that's what we do when we are a family. And I want you to know that the church has never been designed, it was never created to be a machine and an institution. It was created originally to be a family. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, if you would read it, you will find the apex of the effectiveness of the church. We're going to start digging into this scripture over the next couple of weeks and show you some of the key characteristics that made them effective that will make us effective too. Here's one of them. And the congregation, uh, verse uh, 32, the first part says, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one, say that word with me, soul. Do you know that the Bible says, and I'm going to teach on this next week a little bit, that the Bible actually ties that says you will prosper as your soul prospers. Now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm Pentecostal. I'm charismatic. It's all about the spirit, right? No. Your soul is the battleground of everything in your life. You are, there is the flesh side of you. There is the spirit side of you. And they work to manifest themselves through your soul. And the reason why a lot of us have been wounded isn't because the spirit is wrong. It's because our soul has gotten wounded. And we've not been taught how to heal the wounds of our soul. And the last time I was at home, my family, we can wound each other. 
But I don't see us getting in the car and packing our bags and leaving because we're wounded. Yeah, we do that in church all the time. Because we think if we escape it, it'll go away. Let me give you a a proverb for, for your life. How you exit one season determines how you enter the next. And when you leave wounded and running, you're entering into a new season wounded and running, and that thing's going to follow you, and whether you know it or not, you'll wind up being the one who does the wounding and causes somebody else to be the runner. And that is not the life that Christ desires for anybody to have. He wants the family to learn how to deal with our wounds and heal each other. And do you know how you do that? Talking. Oh, let's pull some scripture out of the New Testament. If you have aught or a problem with your brother or sister, go to that brother or sister in private and talk about it. Now, who is the onus on to make the connection and go and talk? The offender or the one who was offended? It's the one who was offended. And a lot of you just run. And you wonder why you can't get over a wound that's 15 years old. Because you got to turn around and deal with it. It's called forgiveness. Now, we all love that God forgives, right? Let me break down a little bit of forgiveness for you. For someone to forgive God, they have to admit that they have been offended. That the actions of someone else has affected them. Because only the one who is affected gets to forgive. And so you have to first acknowledge, I've been offended. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. But then you have to do some other things. And I'm jumping ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to just slow down. I'm wanting to help people today. Back to the fun stuff for a minute. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Uh, John 1, 12 through 13. Again, we're family. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. On your note sheets, would you please grab a pen? Just come on and circle the word right. He gave them the right. You know what? When the enemy wants to come and speak into your mind and say you're unworthy. No, you say, I have a right. When he says you don't deserve, you say, no, I have a right. I don't deserve to be an American, but I have the rights of an American. I didn't earn being an American citizen. It was given to me by my parents who gave birth to me on this continent, in this country. It was given to me. I got my rights. I didn't earn them, but they were given to me by the the right granters, which is the U.S. government. Guess what? It's the same thing when it comes to the family of God. You don't earn your way into the family. It's granted to you. You get a right. How do you get a right? But to all who believed him and accepted him, Christ, he gave them the right to be Become the children of God. What are children? A family. They are reborn. If you've grown up around church, you've heard preachers like me talk about you need to be born again. Let me just let do we even know what that means? Well, it means that I'm not gonna sin anymore. Well, have you met any Christians that sin? I have every day. None of us are righteous. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
You can blow it before the cross and after the cross. That's the beauty of the good news. Is that he forgives you. What does the reborn mean? It means that your rights are no longer received from Adam. They're received from the second Adam, which is Christ. I'm reborn. I was born naturally into the family of humanity, the human race. But through my belief in Christ, I am reborn into the family of God. Where I had the rights of sin and everything that came with it. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. I am reborn into a new family that says, you know what? You don't get what you deserve. You get what God gives you, which is eternal life. When you believe, he gives you the right to become children of God, to be reborn, not from a physical birth resulting in human passions or pain, but a birth that comes from God. One of my favorite scriptures is actually in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Notice this. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Everybody, you like me okay today? Okay. Listen, I'm glad you do. I love you enough to tell you the truth, and I'm tired of preachers only giving it halfway. You should not treat the people in the family of God the way you treat people outside of the family of God. Inside the family, we should be even more gracious with each other because we share the same rights together. We're in the same family together. And the family takes care of the house. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about we are being built into a house, a habitation of his presence. And we got to take care of each other. So I just want you to know, if you're hurt and offended by someone in this house, there's a principle in the Bible that says we are responsible for what we know. Deal with it. Deal with it. Because when you do, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. What is that? I'm going to show you. I'm so glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Effort. That doesn't mean you ignore your wounds. It means you deal with them. And you don't deal with them from an angry position and an offended position. You deal with them to resolve them so that the family stays whole. Yeah. Just as you were called. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope. When you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love the team that God's putting together to lead us into the future of New Life Church. I love that God has given us all different slices that are fitting together into a wonderful pie called New Life. Wayne's slice, anytime he preaches, he's going to talk about the one and others. He's going to try to get your eyes on, on other people, okay, outside of the family and, and in the family. Just get your eyes on other people. Every time time dad preaches at some point look I could assign him to preach on the 1975 Oklahoma Sooner football team 
And he will weave in the body of Christ or the armor of God one way or the other. It's his, it's his or he's going to talk about prayer. Okay? So prayer, armor of God, one another's. And I was telling them the other day as we were chatting, and I said, you know what? I figured out what one of mine is, is the word one. That one is enough. Look at this one more time. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and through all. You know what? One is enough. Sometimes we could do everything we're, we're going to try to do. We're, gonna, we're working hard to try to fill that stadium on April 29th. And I'm here to tell you, if one college student or one person walks that football field and gives their heart to Christ, every dollar was well spent. Wow. No, the church is here to take care of me. No, it's not. That is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to extol the good news of Christ and to see others come into the family. All right, number one, we are family. I don't have any more songs, so don't worry. <laughs> number two, we are a fellowship. A fellowship. When I was growing up, I could not read to save my life. I just, my, I didn't have the attention span. It just bothered me. I read one book um, when I was in ninth grade, ninth or tenth grade. I think it was ninth. It's called Alas Babylon. I just got engrossed in the book. I read it. It was really thick. It was one of those science fiction books that we were asked to read for English. I don't know why, but it was an apocalyptic book. You know, it was about after a nuclear bomb and yada, yada, yada. I thought, I fall in love with reading. No, no, not at all. Get to college. I'm going to go into the ministry. And if you're going to go into the ministry, you're going to have to read. I was in trouble. So I was... One of my classes, I was supposed to interview different people, and so I got to interview the leader. He's, he's the bishop of the entire denomination that, that we are a part of, okay? And, and if you come today, I'll talk to you about why we're a part of a denomination. There is a good reason why we are, okay? And I want to demystify uh, what some people think about it, okay? But uh, his name was B.E. Underwood, and he was in his 70s, and he was, he was sharp as a tack, man. I mean, I was in my early 20s, and any time that, that dude got up and preached, I was on the edge of my seat. I wanted to hear what this 70-plus-year-old man had to say. He was sharp, and he could talk my language. And I got to walk into his office, first time I'd ever been in the general superintendent's office, and I got to sit down across his desk, and I said, Bishop, what is it that at your age that makes you so relevant to people like me? And he had just had built at this time in his long office, a bookcase that went down like 75% of that wall. You know, one of those with the moving ladders kind of bookcases. Yes. Now, the thought of B.E. Underwood swaying Brenda Roberts on that ladder, just we probably shouldn't think about that. Anyway, uh, but he, he asked me, he said, go stand over there by the bookcase. All I need you to do, I want you to tell me the column and the row and then point at any book. I was like, oh, this ought to be fun. So I told him, I, was in, I remember it was the third column in the fifth row, and I pointed to a book right in the middle, and he looked at it from his desk, and he named the title, the author, and the main idea of the book. I did that three times. Blew me slap away. And I sat down in total amazement. 
And he said, you want to know how I'm sharp at my age? Because I read. And then he uttered a phrase that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. He said, John, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And I remember sitting there and I told him, I said, then I'll never be a leader, Bishop, because I can't read a book. And he pushed out from behind his desk and he sat down in the chair next to me and he told me a story about how that when he graduated from high school, he was illiterate. And that he experienced the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And I know about all the gifts of the Spirit that's in the Bible. But he said, Johnny, one of the things about gifts is when, the God, when God gives them, he doesn't take them away. And he'll always leave you with a sign. Doesn't the Bible say that your, spo- your spirit, your soul will testify that you belong to him? Right. He said, Johnny, after I encountered the Holy Spirit, I have read three to four books a month the rest of my life. And then he looked at me and he said, would you like to read? I was like, sure, whatever. I'll never forget it. He put his hand on my left knee and said the simplest prayer. From that day to now, I read all the time. Why was that so important? Because that's what a fellowship does for each other. They give out of themselves into each other's weakness, and they build each other up. It's a fellowship. It's like a team. And we're not just a family. We are a fellowship, each part giving to each other. My full cup spilling up onto your Full cup. You know what I'm saying? Acts 4, 32, the second part says, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. When the church was the most effective in the world, they understood they were a family. And then they understood that everything they had belonged to each other, that it wasn't theirs. It would be wise for some of you to go home and rededicate your house today and to realize your house belongs to God. And if your house belongs to God, then your house belongs to the church. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about what you're doing with what God gives you. We keep wanting God to give us more, and we don't actually do what we should do with what we do have. And if we'll do what we should do with what we do have, then God will bless us with more. Because we've learned the value that everything we have flows from Him. None of it is mine. It all belongs to Him. Which means it all belongs to the church. Which means when your car breaks down and if you need a a gun or a driver or something, I've got it. Come get it. That's what I mean. That's really what it's talking about. Sharing amongst each other. Caring for each other. In fact, uh, if we look at another scripture in Philemon 6, it says, And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. As you understood and experienced all things we have in Christ. That, That if we're in Christ, there should be this generosity that we put into practice. Oh, you're wanting us to give in the offering. Yes, I am. Because the family takes care of the house. But not just because I want your money. I do not need your money. God needs your heart more than he needs your money. And if we'll understand everything we have is his and we'll give as he tells us to give and we'll be generous with each other, then what happens is where your life right now is clogged and it's cluttered with gum in the pipes, if you'll start giving and put some spirit-filled Drano inside of you and clean out some of your giving pipes, you'll find out that God's always been ready to give to you. He just needed to know you were going to let it flow through you and not keep it to yourself. Galatians 6.2. Share each other's 
burdens. And when you do this, you obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. But the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Care for each other. Be, don't just be happy to be a family. But man, let's put all the chips into the table together. And let's become a fellowship that says we're not walking through life alone. First, if love's going to keep us together, it will when we understand we're a family. It will also keep us together when we really begin to understand we're a fellowship. And lastly, <laughs> back to the pen I told you to put in there. We are forgiven forgivers. Look at those words. We are forgiven forgivers. God has forgiven us the offenses that we do to him. And it is incumbent upon us to be like Christ and to forgive the offenses done to us. I have a right to be angry. No, you don't. You have a right to be a child of God. You have a right to not keep things to yourself, but to give them to the family, to the fellowship. Listen to me. When we hold our wounds and don't deal with them, we're keeping the offense to ourselves. And we'll never deal with them if we don't bring them into the fellowship and let them go. <clears throat> Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is all about what Christ did for us and what we have in him. Really, it's about who you are in him. That's why I read, read this book all the time. You, you need to do it. And who you are in Christ is the key to everything. As he's teaching about who they are in Christ... Paul writes this statement to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Look at this. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling, oh, church, every Christian ought to circle this word, slander. You know what slander is? It's when you, talk, when you talk about someone in a bad way behind their back and not to their face. That is slander. And we excuse it as, well, I don't want to hurt somebody. Well, you are. You're hurting yourself when you slander somebody else. And you're seeding things into the culture that should not be here. You deal with your wounds. Well, what do you do when someone offends you? You go and you talk about it. You process it. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, someone offended me. I did not react. That's what a lot of immature people react. And I'm saying immaturity has nothing to do with your age. I know 60-year-olds I know that are as immature as a 12-year-old. Dead serious. If you react, you're immature. Because when you react, you do something without thinking. That's why when you go to the doctor and they cross your leg and hit it with the mallet, boom, just react. You don't think about it, it just poof, happens. And that's what a lot of us do. We get wounded and we just start kicking each other. Hey, you know, so-and-so, they said this. I can't believe they said this. They hurt me. La, 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 la. And then poof, everybody starts scattering. Why? Because we just polluted the culture. It's no longer the culture of Christ. It's now the culture of us. No, 
You don't react. Mature people respond, which means you have to learn how sometimes you are hurt and you've got feelings, and those feelings are real. You cannot lie to yourself and say feelings don't matter. I'm tired of Christians telling me, I don't live by my feelings. I live by the Spirit. I'm sorry you're deluding yourself because you're cutting off a part of God. The last time I read the Bible, it says Jesus was moved with compassion and healed them. What's compassion? A feeling. He saw them, and because of what he saw, God the Father gave his only son. Your feelings are a part of God's creative work in, in your life. But we don't want to be led by our feelings. We've got, we got to learn to filter our feelings because your, fil- your feelings are tied to your soul. And feelings can be influenced by your flesh, and they can be influenced by your spirit. That's why you've got to mature, and you've got to learn how to sift through and realize some things are not really of God. Those are of my flesh. I'm, gonna deal, I'm, I'm not even going to worry about that because I'm dead to my old self, so I'm not going to let my old self mess with me now. But I am going to filter down to the real things that I do need to deal with. So this person offended me. I did not react and immediately call this person up and ball this person out. That would have accomplished nothing. What I had to do was sit down and begin to filter through my feelings and figure out, why am I upset? What is, the, what, is, what is this thing that's really going on? And when I figured it out, and if you'll ever do this, nine times out of ten, if you're honest with yourself, Your feet, it's self-driven. It's selfishness. At the root of it, it's, well, they didn't treat me the way I thought they should have. What if Jesus stood before us today and started pointing out to every one of us how we have not treated him the way he deserved? And then when I dealt with what the real root was, then I called and said, hey, let's get together. I'm not okay, but I want to talk about this. And then we talked about it. Did some of, was it all sane and holy? Well, it was holy because it was real. But no, it wasn't all pious. And I mean, there was, there was some emotion, but it wasn't driven from a point of anger. That's why the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin, which means you can be angry and not sin. Every t- the church needs to get a little angry at injustice instead of s- passively sitting by and keeping our mouth shut. I find it interesting that one of the fastest growing religions in America is Islam, and yet Islam is very open and blunt about what they are for and against, and the church can't figure out how to say that because we're too afraid of offending people. I don't appreciate, I think it's funny what's happened to Anheuser-Busch the last couple of weeks. Hey, you know, okay. But I will say one thing about that person that they put on that can. Just hang with me. At least they have the guts to be who they think they are. The church doesn't have the guts to be Christ followers. We're too worried about fitting in and not offending people. You want people to respect you? Figure out who you are in Christ and be that person and don't shy away from it. This week, a few days ago, I was hanging out at the hospital and... um, um, Anyway, it just so happened that, that there was this one person there, and they were, and I just asked if I could pray for the person. Okay? No big deal. No, honest. Just prayed, and the person said, wow, yeah. Like, got really excited. I feel a lot better. 
And I was out in the waiting room for ER, okay? Well, this person screamed this so loud that three other people walked over and said, will you pray for me? I'm like, okay. So, prayed for him. And they all felt better and they wound up, wound up leaving. I got in trouble. Because I drove off customers. <laughs> they were joking. But they were like, what did you do? I said, I, don't, I just prayed for him. And Jesus said, pray for the sick and the sick will recover. I don't, it's not me anyway. I don't care how high you jump or don't jump in here. I do care about are you living with both feet on the ground, living out the mission of Christ and doing what he's called us to do. I don't care if you do it here. I really want you to do it out of these walls. But we gotta quit, we gotta quit slandering each other. We gotta have compassion for each other, and we've got to <laughs> make room for each other and forgive each other just as Christ has forgiven you. I'm messing with some of you because some of you know you got unforgiveness inside of your heart. And I'm telling you that unforgiveness is a bad culture for you. And it won't help you grow in your relationship with Christ. It won't help you become like Christ because it's going to pollute the culture. But if you will be like Christ and learn to forgive. But honestly, isn't that the problem? Do we know how to forgive? Let me give you three simple steps to forgive. First, we as a church, by the way, if you haven't figured out, this is all about we. That's why I said Wayne and I did not talk, and he's talking today about it's not us, it's we. And I'm like, dadgummit, dude, got to quit praying with me. <laughs> How do we forgive? Number one, we recognize no one is perfect. The church is full of hypocrites. What else is it supposed to be filled with? Jesus came to a perfect hospital and said, it is not the well that need a doctor. It's full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. Because we're all trying to grow into being like Christ, into this full measure of his grace and the full measure of his mercy. But we've been sold an idea that it's all about a personal relationship between us and God. That is true. But it is also a loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's a connection to each other. It's the fellowship demonstrating the grace and the mercy of God to each other. Let's recognize none of us are perfect. And when we do that, give each other room to mess up. Give each other room to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Give each other the room and learn people's personality. There are some people that are Peters. I am a Peter. That's why some of you don't like me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm jesting because it was getting too serious. But I am a Peter. You study Peter's personality. His mouth got him in trouble. Do you know why his mouth got him in trouble? Because his brain couldn't keep up with the speed of his tongue. And so he would say things out of his feelings without thinking them through. Oh, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Okay. Jesus, I'll never leave you. Okay, let's go to the cross, Peter. Peter's mouth got him in trouble so many times. But Christ made room for Peter 
because God understood something that what is a weakness in your flesh once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it can become a strength in your life. And that same person who was very quick with his tongue was the first one to stand up on the day of Pentecost when everybody was confused about what was happening. And he's the one that God chose to speak through to stand up and say, this is that that we've heard about since we were children. That the prophet Joel talked about that the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh and your sons and daughters would prophesy. He didn't sit there and think about it. He just went with it. That's why a lot of prophets are Peters. That's why they can say things in the moment without having to think about it a whole lot. That's a gifting, okay? But every gift has negative sides to it. And sometimes prophetic people, people like a Peter, will talk with harsh tones. They have what my kids call, do not ask me to tell you what it stands for. You go ask your grandchildren or children. RBF. Go ask somebody what it means. But it is real. And once you, once you see, you recognize it everywhere. There are people that have it. When they're resting, they just look mad. So when we learn and we understand each other, then when someone that I can recognize is more like a Peter, when they say something that could hurt me, we learn to make room for each other and actually think through, do, you, do I really think they meant that? I want you to know some of you today are walking around with arrows buried deep into your heart and the arrows were never fired at you. You grabbed them out of the air and shoved them into yourself. When you have an inferiority complex or you're afraid of being compared to other people, someone can make a statement that has nothing to do but you've got an open wound and you'll grab an arrow that's in that vicinity and whew, Jab it into yourself and push it in deep. Some of us are carrying arrows in our wounds that were never meant to hit us. We grabbed them and hit them with ourse into ourselves. All my life, I've had these conversations with people who have come to me and said, Johnny, you really offended me when you said this. And it's usually like years ago. And I'm honestly going, I have idea what you're talking about. I am so sorry. I'm sure I did not mean to say that in that way to you. Would you please forgive me? I don't remember it, but I'm not perfect. Are you? If we're going to forgive, we start here. Let's recognize none of us are perfect. Ecclesiastes 7.20, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. First, acknowledge, we acknowledge as a church, none of us are perfect. Second, we relinquish our rights to get even. If we're going to forgive, we've got to let go of the right to retaliate. Well, they hurt me with their words, so I'm going to go slander them to somebody else. That is wrong. That is not godly. And that is not the culture that we want this church to be in. We're going to deal with it differently. How do you deal with it? You relinquish the right. See, it's the person who's offended. You relinquish the right to get even. When For God to forgive you means God recognized you offended him, and he chose to not get even with you. He chose not to deal with you as you deserve. He chose to set what you deserve aside. That's forgiveness. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 19. I love it out of the message. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. If you've got it in you. If you've got it in you. Boy, that's a great question, isn't it? If the Spirit of God is in you, then you should be able to get along with everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. Do you want to know why a lot of us get, try to get even? Because we don't really believe God will defend us. And if you finish out the scripture in Romans 12, verse 20, it talks about how that God is the one who will defend you. God is the one who will take care of things. Don't take it on yourself to be God. It is not on you. Now, listen, we, we're, we've, we've spun a phrase in a wrong way. When the Bible says don't judge, it's not talking about calling things that are sin, sin. Or I mean, yes, that is right. What he's talking about is judging, pronouncing judgment on someone, pronouncing that they're unworthy, pronouncing that they're evil, pronouncing that they're, 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 they're unworthy of, of being a part of the family. That's what he's talking about. Leave that alone to God. God is the righteous judge. I'm not called to judge right now. I am called to forgive right now. And to do that, I've got to recognize no one's perfect. I've got to relinquish my rights to get even. Well, I got to do something, Pastor. You, I agree. Third, in this culture, we will return good for evil. You return good to those that have hurt you. First Peter 3 9. Don't repay evil for evil, don't retaliate with insults. When people insult you, instead, pay them back with a blessing. Because that's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. You see, when we begin to really act like Christ then the blessing of God really begins to flow. I'm talking about, some of us, man, we need, to un, we need to put some Holy Spirit Drano down the pipes of our life, and we need to get rid of some of this junk, and let's get it out of us, let's deal with it, because we want to be vessels that he can fully fill and fully use, because I am telling you, this world is filled with people that have been hurt by people like you and me, and they are desperate to find hope, and this is a great place for hope. We have the greatest hope of all. The hope of Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And we need to make sure that we do whatever we can to let his love keep us together. To let the love that is from him in us work to bind us together so that nothing causes his name to be defamed by those that bear it. So what do you do when you're offended? Process it. Deal with it. Some things you can just come to Christ and let go of. Yeah, start there. But then be sensitive. Because if you can't genuinely walk up and hug someone and say something nice and bless them, that's a sign to you there's something deeper that needs to be dealt with. So don't get negative on yourself. 
respond to what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. And pull, get with that person and say, hey, I want to talk about this. Because one of the things kids used to ask Shandra and I when, I, when we taught, um, it, it happened all the time. Um, I would have girls coming to me, you know, or, or guys coming to me asking, you know, where do I find a woman like Shandra? And she would have girls come to her. Are there really good guys like John left in the world? Does he really do that to you? Does, are you guys really this way? Because they're jaded. They don't think there's real love anymore. That real love isn't sacrificial, isn't caring about someone else more than you care about yourself. But they wanted to know. And they would come to me and they would ask me, how do I find a woman like Chandra? And I said, well, first, you gotta become a guy like Christ. Because I wasn't worthy and I'm still not worthy of Chandra. And when we were younger, she was smart enough to stay away from me. Because she knew I was a preacher's kid that needed Jesus. But who would have known that when our paths crossed at 16 and 17, and all I could talk about was how beautiful she was, and she did not care. I think my line was, oh, you could be a model. Stupid. Bad line. Don't use that. Doesn't work. <laughs> but then, eight years later, to be riding in a car and to have her swivel in that chair and say, God really has changed you. You're not the same person. I am not worthy of her. But I've become more and more like Christ. And that's why I found someone like her. And to tell these young men that if you really want to find a woman of God, you've got to become a man of God. You've got to become a man after God's heart, which means you've got to deal with you. I want for people to bump into you and ask you, how do I find the hope that's in you? And for you to know, this family, this fellowship, I'm sorry. Last week on Easter, we had some hurting guests with us that came reluctantly but they came because someone they trusted said it's a safe place you won't be judged there and they're interested in coming back because they felt the love in you and the acceptance in you and my friends that's the culture of a father that we must dig into and we must be very cautious to not let weeds grow in and spoil this culture, but that we become a culture based on and driven by and rooted in the deepest, widest, broadest love of God that we can experience. Father, may your love keep us together. Would you stand today?